0: o t o Community Radio News for Wednesday, June 2nd. I'm Julia Caulfield.
1: And I'm Matt Hoysh.
0: In today's headlines, remembering Patrick Eels.
1: COVID lingers in county.
0: Freebox one step closer to reopening.
1: And a mountain weather forecast. But first, Norwood lost a member of its community on Monday evening John Fonstock passed away in his home surrounded by his family after a 20 year battle with MS and Parkinson's disease. He was 74 years old. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Fonstock is survived by his siblings, Mary, Peggy, and Alan, his children, Jonas, Sisko, and Esme, and his wife, Hudula.
0: Patrick Eels was kind, a lifelong learner. Brilliant. He was an avid outdoorsman, passionate, the definition of carpe diem.
2: You know, Pat, on the, I think, on the outside, when you were first getting to know him, was a little quiet and shy, but you'd always tell that he was thinking about something. And then when you get to know him more, he's just a really goofy, silly guy who really just loved everything he did and was wildly intelligent. And just incredibly kind and generous.
3: I would always turn to him and I'd be like, Pat, you live the best life. (laughs) And, I mean, he worked three years in consulting and knew that's not what he wanted. And he just manifested um, what he felt was his perfect, you know, a great, a happy life. A happy life. And he lived that every day.
0: Eels died Sunday, May 30th, after traumatic injuries suffered from an apparent fall while climbing Gilpin Peak, north of Telluride. On Sunday, Eels told his partner he was going for a run on Sneffle's High Line. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, he was reported missing around 11 p.m. that night. On Monday, Search and Rescue launched a rescue mission. Eels was located and his body recovered on Monday afternoon. He was 29 years old. A lover of the outdoors, Eels climbed, ran, hiked, and snowboarded. According to those who knew him, he was always ready to get after the next adventure.
2: I mean, Pow is an amazing snowboarder, like the best snowboarder I've ever known. Absolutely.
0: That's Peter Fogg, a friend of Eels. But it wasn't all about climbing the hardest route or snowboarding the steepest line. Fogg remembers a recent trip to Wilson Peak. He and Eels were planning to ski the mountain, but decided to turn back when conditions looked unsafe.
2: I felt like that was really exemplary of how Pat was in the mountains. He was always willing to go up and take a look, and he was equally willing to go back if it didn't look safe. And we talked a lot about that after that day, and basically just came to the conclusion that, you know, we hadn't gone up and done what we had intended to do at the start of the day, but it still ended up being, like, amazingly fun. <laughs> um... And we were both just really happy that, like, we managed to get out and have a great day in the mountains and have fun and enjoy each other's company. Um, And I think that's what it really was about for him. You know, obviously, it's great to ski the big lines, but he was really just out there to enjoy life.
4: He was the guy who had the gear and the plan and the
0: map and the snacks. Always the snacks, and the seltzer. Eels' friend, Hope Logan. She remembers skiing sheep shoot with Eels. We had gotten up at, like, 3, uh, and it was super
4: cold. And you have to walk up a bunch of, like, talus to get up there. And um, I was super scared. Uh, I had a moment. And he just walked behind me and said, foot there, foot there, foot there. You know, he... He was a total go-getter, but he also was the guy who would go behind you with the most patience and wait for you to take your steps.
0: Beyond the outdoors, Eels was embedded in the community. He was a volunteer for the San Miguel Resource Center. He worked for Telluride Academy. He was a teacher and mentor at the Pinhead
5: Institute. If you could take the adjective nice and explode it into a million directions, you know, Like our solar system, you know, like just all that niceness radiating outward in so many different directions. That was Patrick, you know, because he was nice to the kids and he was nice to the parents and he was nice to his colleagues. To Sarah Holbrook,
0: director of Pinhead, he was the complete package.
5: There's some STEMI people who are outward facing, but maybe aren't so good with the laser cutter or the calculus, you know. And then there's some people who are really STEMI who were really good at the calculus or the computer science, but maybe not so good at outward facing. And he was so good at both. You know, he was the guy who could figure out how to unplug this stuck, uh, you know, 3D printer um, and, you know, make the laser cutter work on leather or something weird like that, you know. And then he was also incredibly, you know, gentle and kind with the kids um, and in a really genuine way that that reached them, you know, that made them feel special and heard.
0: Pinhead is creating a scholarship in Eels's honor, the Pinhead Patrick Eels Memorial Engineering Scholarship. Eels's thirst for knowledge was infinite. Kristen Lamb was one of his roommates. He always had a ton of library books at the house. Um, in quarantine, I'm pretty
3: sure he had a third of the Wilkinson Library at our house. I don't know how he did how he got away with that um but there were just stacks and stacks of books everywhere Uh, if he was now adventuring mountains he was home on the couch uh reading a
0: book she notes of course their household partook in the quarantine pastime of doing puzzles and we also did a lot of watching the great british baking show every single night and um well i learned that
3: pat actually knew a lot about baking um (laughs) Always, like, the following day, Pat would be in the kitchen baking um, new cookies
0: or some kind of sweet. And uh, so throughout COVID times, we always called him our star baker. But for those who knew him, there was one person at the center of Eels's life, his partner, Marissa.
4: They were partners in everything they did. They had this beautiful ebb and flow. They were on a ship together. And they made, were making compromises for their relationship that I don't f- think felt like compromises. I think it just felt like them contributing to their future together.
3: I work at a, a victim's advocacy center for domestic violence, and I, it, it's hard at times. Eels' friend, Marissa Lampe. Marissa and Pat were a very needed reminder that they're like healthy and Beautiful relationships can exist and thrive. They were just a perfect balance to one another. Every time we have dinner, he was always beaming at her. He loved her so much.
0: Eels is survived by his siblings, Andrew and Melissa, his parents, Walter and Renee, and the love of his life, Marissa. There will be a memorial for Patrick at San Sophia Station Lookout on Monday, June 7th from 4 to 5 p.m followed by a walk down Telluride Trail to a gathering for food, drink, and more remembrance. Individuals interested in sharing photos or videos for the service can email them to hlogan207 at gmail.com. People can also drop off condolence cards for Eels's family at the Pinhead Institute.
1: With most mask and social distancing requirements removed for fully vaccinated people, and over 80% of eligible San Miguel County residents having gotten at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose, it can feel like the pandemic is largely in the rearview mirror. But County Public Health Director Grace Franklin still urges vigilance.
6: Even those that are vaccinated or unvaccinated, if you have any symptoms and feel sick, The key is to stay home, to take it seriously and isolate and get tested.
1: Currently, there are 10 active COVID cases in the county. However, Franklin stresses a lot of the cases are related to household spread.
6: It's a really high number and it's concerning, but um, it also makes sense if there's three or four people in each home that um, have also gotten sick from the spread, whether it's due to delayed testing or um, delayed isolation from families.
1: Much of the uptick, she notes, has been on the west end of the county.
6: On the east end of the county, there has been a very low prevalence of COVID-19. And on the west end, we've been seeing this significant uptick in cases. And I think that there's A few things that we can infer, um, it has been folks who um, chose not to get vaccinated or haven't been able to get vaccinated yet. And so as the prevalence of a virus increases, that risk for susceptibility also increases, which we're kind of seeing play out in
1: real time. But even fully vaccinated people are not 100% immune to the virus. Over the last month, according to Franklin, there have been five cases of fully vaccinated people getting sick, and testing positive for COVID-19. That
6: seems like a lot, but out of the 5,000-plus people who have been fully vaccinated, it is a pretty low number. The majority of those people have had mild to moderate symptoms, um, showing that it has done its job, the vaccine, um, especially since three out of the five cases are all people that are have some kind of um, health concern where they're immunocompromised or um, older in age and high exposure.
1: In crowded places, Franklin still suggests people wear masks, even though that is no longer a part of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidance for fully vaccinated people.
6: Depending on the person, especially if you are immunocompromised, how can you make um, educated risk choices, right? And so if you're in a, a very highly crowded place with unknown vaccine status, or people that are um, unvaccinated, just to take that extra precaution just to protect yourself and your family.
1: Increased summer visitors, Franklin notes, will add another layer of uncertainty in the coming weeks. Above all, she urges everyone who hasn't to get vaccinated. The county will hold Moderna and Johnson & Johnson clinics at the end of June and throughout July. There will also be Pfizer clinics on June 10th in Norwood and June 11th in Telluride. The county anticipates rolling back its Pfizer distribution, which has mainly been aimed at younger people, since the Food and Drug Administration is expected to extend emergency use authorization to the Moderna vaccine for 12- to 17-year-olds in the near future. The Moderna vaccine, Franklin notes, is easier to handle and
0: store. The free box will reopen. That fact isn't a surprise. Telluride Town Council came to the decision at a work session last month.
2: It was determined that there was unanimous support to keep the free box, but uh, it does need to run better.
0: That's Telluride Town Manager Ross Herzog. This week, during another work session, Town Council dove into the conversation of what running the free box better looks like. Herzog breaks the conversation into five main questions. First, should the town reopen the free box prior to finding a permanent location for it to live? Town council is discussing moving the free box to a different location that better fits current community needs. To that point, council says yes. Here's Mayor Delaney Young. I don't believe we should relocate it
6: more than once. I think it should open where it is, and then when it has a permanent home, we move it.
0: So where should the free box finally end up? That's Herzog's fifth question. During town council's last work session on the topic, council and the community brought up a number of possible locations. The Voodoo Lounge lot, behind Eco Action Partners. But a move to the Voodoo lot could take years. The property is scheduled for development, and a permanent home for the free box would need to be built into the design. For council member Tom Watkinson, that makes the location a non-starter. It's not
2: going to the Voodoo Lounge area, so let's find a permanent home. But this needs to happen sooner than later. We don't want to have the complete junk show that it has been in the past.
5: I don't know. What about the library? It's the patio of the library?
2: It's a, It's got infrastructure. It's got, it's you can lock it off so you can have the time frame for it.
0: During public comment, Sam Siegel shares Watkinson's sentiments.
2: If the that is off the table because sometime in the next 10 years, ground will be broken, I would like to see town ignore that site completely, come up with a permanent spot and do so in the next two months. I don't see why, what's going to change in a year or two years or three years as far as where you can make a permanent home for it. I think you have to get creative and you have to take responsibility.
0: Council didn't come to a consensus on where to move the free box. It plans to hold a separate meeting to specifically discuss the best location for the community institution. In addition to the location and timeline for reopening, council also discussed enforcement and management of the free box. Herzog and members of the community recommended having a member of town staff be the point person in managing the box. But council member Lars Carlson believes it's the community's responsibility to step up.
6: community wants the free box, I'd like to see the community run the free box because right now it's costing us thirty thousand dollars a year. That's money that could go to a housing. And I really think that if the community wants it, they have to put them their money you know, where their mouth is.
0: Young notes a community-run free box isn't completely out of the question. She says a number of community members have suggested creating a nonprofit to manage it. There's also the issue of cameras to monitor the area. Council and the community showed support for having cameras at the free box but Chief Marshal Josh Compt makes sure to manage expectations it
2: doesn't come with you know someone's name and address and how to contact them so there is a process with this so simply because we have video out there and it'll Give us a video picture of someone or potentially a description of a car, it doesn't automatically mean we can identify who that person is. So there are some limitations to it.
0: Councilmember Geneva Shawnette says she understands the limitations of the cameras, but still sees them as a good investment. Even if we don't get
6: every single person who's violating the law, having some security cameras would a be a deterrent and B help us catch some of the worst offenders.
0: Council also discussed and supported the idea of creating an electronic donation box of sorts for residents and visitors to donate to the maintenance and upkeep of the free box. Which brings us to the final and most burning question.
6: I guess the real ever-looming question is, what's, what's the date? When do the boards come down?
0: A looming question with an anticlimactic answer there still isn't a definitive date on when the Freebox will reopen its cubbies to the Box Canyon. But Herzog says it's likely in the next few weeks. Festival season is officially here. Mountain Film kicked off the summer, Bluegrass starts next week, and on Wednesday, the Telluride Blues and Brews Festival announced its 2021 lineup. This year, the lineup features Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats, Buddy Guy, Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real, St. Paul and the Broken Bones, Larkin Poe, Anders Osborne, and Samantha Fish. There will also be performances from the North Mississippi All-Stars, the Allman Betts Band, Monophonics, Jamestown Revival, Liz Cooper, Hannah Wickland, Quinn Sullivan, Kevin Burnt, King Solomon Hicks, and many, many more. As the only major festival in Town Park this summer, Blues and Brews will take place at full capacity, but some familiar elements will be missing from the festival this year. The Grand Tasting, Telluride Blues Challenge, the Blisters and Brews 5K, and the Kids Area. But don't worry, they'll be back in 2022. The Telluride Blues and Brews Festival will take place in Town Park this summer, September 17th through 19th. Festival passes and tickets will go on sale Thursday, June 3rd, and are available at TellurideBlues.com.
1: In Colorado, the seasons are a bit different. After winter comes construction season, and this year Telluride is booming with building.
6: It's going to be another... Very, very busy construction season in Telluride.
1: That's Public Works Director Paul Rude briefing Town Council on local construction at their meeting this week. Black Hills Energy is continuing work on a new pipe across town, though, Rude notes Town recently asked the team to focus on individual sections one at a time. Instead of having
2: work occurring
6: in several or even many, blocks at
1: once. Root anticipates the pipeline work will take at least another two months. There are also a range of housing projects scattered across town. As of late May, there are about 210 active building permits, compared to roughly 60 at the same time last year. That difference, according to Planning and Building Director Ron Quarles, is because of the pandemic.
6: Town was pretty much closed for three months for any kind of construction activity. So that really reflects in the numbers.
1: Residents are noticing the spike. Councilmember Geneva Shaunette says she's gotten feedback that the level of construction is impacting quality of life. She suggests limiting permit numbers to reduce the intensity.
6: This would probably throw a wrench in some people's business plans um, in terms of getting as much work done as fast as possible and in property owners' desires to move things forward. But I think that our our town's so small that having
1: some sort of weight is not unreasonable. Councilmember Jesse Ray Arguez agrees it's an issue council needs to address. Mayor Delaney Young adds they'll need a lot of data to make any decisions, But, she notes, not much can be done about existing permits.
6: We're going to feel it really hard this summer, and I don't think that there's necessarily anything we can do this summer, which is um, unfortunate,
1: and it's going to be tough. Seanette wants to issue a moratorium on new permits for the summer. Councilmember Lars Carlson is against that.
6: Because as soon as you put a moratorium, prices are going to jump, and I I think you're going to make it more expensive for everybody. I don't know how much higher can they go. I don't think we can take responsibility for that
1: in that same way, personally. I see what you're saying, but prices are already crazy. We're already there, we're past there. Other council members don't feel ready to make that sort of decision. Council member Adrienne Christie says she doesn't feel informed enough. And Councilmember Tom Watkinson says Council would need to talk to more people.
2: This needs to go through a discussion with the people it's impacting, both community members, both businesses, both construction. This needs to be a much larger discussion.
1: Town Attorney Kevin Geiger adds he would want to do more research on moratoriums and notes the issue was not noticed for public discussion at the meeting. Council directed staff to collect more data for a future discussion on the impacts of local construction.
0: Colorado is dry. Southwest Colorado is especially dry. Currently, all of San Miguel County is in extreme or exceptional drought. In anticipation of a dry irrigation season, Mountain Village is now restricting outside watering through a water conservation program. The program applies to properties in Mountain Village, Ski Ranches, Elk Run, and Skyfield. Starting this week, all properties north of Mountain Village Boulevard and Elk Run may water their landscaping on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays only. Properties south of Mountain Village Boulevard, plus ski ranches and Skyfield, may water their landscaping on Tuesdays and Thursdays only. Irrigation clocks must be set to run at 70-75% to of water, and irrigation hours are either before 8 a.m. or after 7 p.m., trucked in water is also prohibited. Landscaping installed since the spring of 2019 and future landscaping projects are eligible to apply for additional watering permission. In addition to the watering schedule, all exterior water features must be turned off. The water conservation program went into effect on Tuesday, June 1st and will be in place indefinitely.
1: Colorado lawmakers have passed a bill creating a new branch of government dedicated to preventing gun violence. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. It joins the ranks of other new offices created by Democrats in recent years to tackle big issues. That includes the Office of Saving People Money on Health Care. But unlike that one, the Office of Gun Violence Prevention will open with new staff and nearly $3 million worth of funding next year. It will primarily focus on educating residents about existing gun laws. It will also collect new data about gun violence. Democrats say it is needed to coordinate efforts in a state that continues to make headlines for deadly mass shootings, like the March 22nd attack in Boulder. But Republicans are skeptical and say it is an unnecessary expansion of government bureaucracy. I'm Scott Franz at the state Capitol.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 40 degrees. Thursday, scattered showers and thunderstorms are possible, with a high around 70 degrees during the day and a low around 40 degrees at night. Friday, there is a chance of showers, with mostly sunny skies and a high in the mid-70s. Friday night calls for mostly cloudy skies, with a chance of showers and a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Wednesday, June 2nd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now personal commentaries. Hey,
7: this is Teresa at the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miner's Minute. In 1909, in Telluride, Colorado, Beulah Lewis quarantined inside a small cabin with only a nurse as a companion for five weeks. She was scared that smallpox would scar her, leave her blind, or perhaps end her life. Once she felt better, she must have been bored and anxious to leave, and there was no Netflix or internet and very little to occupy her time. She wrote a letter to her brothers, which went like this. My dear brothers, I love my job, but oh, you smallpox. I'm sending you a picture of our happy, question mark, home. Left it yesterday afternoon, and we are neither of us heartbroken over having to leave. The county got tired of keeping us, so turned us loose. Was quarantined for five weeks, was sick five days before I was quarantined. I'm delighted to get out, but I'm quite nervous, as I suppose you can tell by this writing. Otherwise, I am feeling okay. You can read the rest of Beulah's letter in our newest annual exhibit titled Outbreak, Epidemics in a Connected World, which opens on June 3rd. The Telluride Historical Museum will also open for the summer season on June 3rd and will be open Monday through Saturdays, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Thursdays until 7, which is also our local's free day. We're going to be hosting our historical walking tours, led by local guide Ashley Bowling, which is available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 1 p.m. beginning June 3rd. Again, you don't want to miss our newest annual exhibit, which highlights how pathogens can spread to people from wildlife and livestock, why some outbreaks become epidemics, and how human, animal, and environmental health are connected. The exhibition is a customizable do-it-yourself version of a larger display, which is on display at the National Museum of Natural History, and also includes stories of how the individuals who lived here in the past coped with disease. So we worked with other community organizations, including the San Miguel County Health Department, the Telluride Medical Center and Pinhead Institute to research and develop fun content that tells the story of San Miguel County's past experiences with contagion. Kids and families can enjoy our hands-on components by spinning our wheel of misfortune or try being a science superhero in our photo op art installation. Hope to see you up at the museum soon. Thanks, Koto. Your rare medium well done. Hi, Koto listeners. Um,
0: We're here to talk about the Progressive Women's Caucus. Our mission is to elevate women and shape our community through leadership and participation. The goals of the Progressive Women's Caucus are to Elevate progressive, dynamic, and fluid leaders onto open boards, commissions, and into public office, to educate the community on important issues and opportunities, and to advocate and endorse progressive solutions to the two community challenges.
7: If you resonate with our mission and goals, please consider joining us for the Progressive Women's Caucus Summer Kickoff Celebration. On June 3rd, the PwC will host our annual meeting in person. Woo! <laughs> Please join us for an evening of celebrating, rekindling our in-person connections, and re-energizing our progressive spirits. The Progressive Women's Caucus kickoff celebration will be held in Town Park under the bra at 5 p.m. on Thursday, June 3rd. We look forward to seeing you there.